Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe Podcast, where we elevate intellect through conscious dialogue while exploring race, politics, business, and culture. I'm Dr. Daryl L. Jones, and I'm Charles D. Mitchell. Thank you for joining us on the Conscious Vibe. DJ, what's going on, man? One year anniversary. <laughs> we, we've been doing this podcast thing now for a year. It's crazy, man, to think that. Crazy to think that. Um, it's better and better, though, doesn't it? I, I, honestly, I think it's better and better. Um, what the audience doesn't know, we just had an amazing podcast uh, with a guest out of Australia, um, Yemi Pan, who you'll hear in the coming weeks. But, man, mind-blowing. Um, I, I just, I, I just I pinch myself when I think about the fact that we've been doing this for over a year, we have, we've had some amazing guests, um, just expanding our horizons in so many different areas and so many different ways and learning so much and being inspired and you know, all those things. Um, just looking forward to more of that. I agree, Gerald. And I think too, man, you know, I always had an appreciation for you and, um, as a friend, but I think it's actually allowed us to elevate our relationship in a way oh, that's been really positive, man. 100%. So I, I appreciate that part Likewise. of it as well. Likewise. Um, you know, look, I think that part of, um, you know, we're obviously not getting any other, right? Maybe in, maybe in <laughs> mind, right? Spirit. But I think part of the thing that I appreciate more than anything is being able to learn. Like, I, I, I love learning, right? I consider myself to be a lifelong learner. And one of the things that's been really beneficial and positive for me is like I learn from you all the oh, time. Likewise, man, I, I, I learn appreciate from you that all the time, and and it just makes me feel like I'm I'm gaining something like beyond the friendship piece. Like I'm learning and gaining more information, things that I need to think more about. And actually, you know, in a, in a real serious way, you know, I've I've made some changes in things that I do, people that I move with that I involve myself with all because of perspective that I get from you that I feel like has enriched me in a way that I know that I'm a much better person. I'm much better off and that um, my life is a lot fuller. And then I also don't have to um, subject myself to environments and people and things that don't contribute to that in a real positive way. It's, it's, it's been, it's been really life changing, uh, just from the standpoint that we get to do this work together, but also enrich ourselves in our lives as friends. Well, I tell you what, that means a lot to me. Um, an awful lot. And I think if I had to just share, you know, some of the many things I've been able to glean from our relationship is being sort of a lone wolf in a lot of different ways. i I'm increasingly less concerned about what the outside world thinks about, you know, Daryl Jones. But what I have learned is that at some point that can probably go a little too far. <laughs> so, you know, just being a little more self-aware in that sort of thing is something that I've definitely picked up from you. And I think I think the uh, the balance of that is where we sort of intersect. And I think that's yeah. a wonderful thing, right? Totally, totally and I think that. that comes out in the show. Totally agree with that. Um, so. I do have a great article to share with you about that that I got from a friend yesterday um, that talked about this whole idea of caring too much about what people think mm. about you. Great article. Talking about it a little bit earlier, uh, Jay, um, the whole concept of no one cares. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and, and that, you know, we have to really put ourselves in a space that when, we, when we're really thinking about the fact that we're moving and doing things and going, oh, wait a minute, you know, are people going to like that? Is someone going to say something bad about me? You know, this whole can- cancel culture perspective, like I'm, uh, the idea that people really care, like just, just wipe it out of your head, right? And that allows us to be less concerned about, you know, trying to be motivated by what other people think when we're just trying mm-hmm. to live our lives every single day. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, that's a huge piece of that. So speaking of Jay, our producer, yep. we want to thank you as well for Absolutely. our year of success. We couldn't have done it without you. And no we're question. really happy to have you. Thank you guys. I know we've had technical bumps in things, but it's been a really awesome journey. You guys have had such amazing guests. I think that adding in this whole new virtual level of expanding just to people that none of us even know has been really Mm -hmm. a cool journey too. And I think our listeners have liked that as well. I agree. And, you know, just, you know, I think when Charles and I were together deciding what who the guests would be and we were kind of pulling from our network which is huge and lovely um there was a there was probably an element a bit of an element of we sort of knew what was coming Mm -hmm. but this new dimension of not quite knowing you know everything about our guests and having to really do some legwork has been really beneficial. So um, yeah, it's kind of like a it. treasure. You never know what you're going to yeah. find when you get into these conversations. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been amazing. And it started, you know, it started with Joya. That yeah. one was so you know amazing. that was really, a, really was. that was a leap of faith in a different direction, right? And so absolutely to 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 have that, you know, your point. You no, know, we we get people that are in our circle or in our world. You know, and they're we, great. They're, they're fantastic, fantastic too, right? But we we have an element of understanding and knowing about mm-hmm. what that conversation is going to be about. And that was pretty much all of season one, mm-hmm. right? We really tapped into your guys' network of people from past, present, all the things. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and then I feel like season two, we really turned into a nice hybrid of people that you guys do have these backgrounds with and then just wild cards, people doing really amazing things all around the world. Right. We've taken this global now. We've had people in Italy. We've had France. Um, I think Australia, Ireland, yeah. Australia, Australia, Canada. Canada. Um, you know, Taylor Rochester, he's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. Tokyo or something. I don't know. Tokyo, right? Israel, Santa Barbara. Exactly. Yeah, he's yeah, everywhere. yeah, exactly. So that's been really, I think, an enlightening new chapter. And have listeners from all those places. Yeah. Too. You know, we're, cool. we're getting... A, a true global audience. Yeah, over 3,000. One year in. Pretty good. Oh, it's amazing. It is really exciting. So, with that said, I would like to do a little bit of reflection on so far where we're at in season two. So, as we're sitting here recording this, we have 12 episodes, which is great. If we're aiming for 30 episodes in every season, we're almost at our halfway mark for season two. Wow. We started it off with Scott Barker and the business of weed. I want to go back to that first episode, which was really fascinating. I know it's like a while back because we filmed it really early in the summer. But what was a big takeaway from that conversation that you guys had for you, DJ? Well, you know, I think one of the things coming out of that, I <clears throat> I was curious and I asked him about this, this concept of um, not just having various products under one umbrella, but literally establishing different brands 
that were marketed differently, putting the consumer at the center. And hearing him articulate that strategy in a business that is still fairly nascent here in Arizona and to be at the forefront of his thinking around that for me was really, really interesting, especially coming from my background in sales and marketing at Nike, where that was our strategy. To hear that now playing out in this cannabis industry for me was really interesting. And I related to it um, immediately when he was talking about it. So that was fascinating for me. How about you, Charles? You know, for me, um, particularly when I'm having you know, these dialogues with people who are considered to be, be friends that I've d- developed these relationships with, I'm always interested in things that I didn't know about that person. And the thing that struck me in the conversation um, with Scott was when he had the the, um, the television of the golf yeah. um, business, where they not the golf business, but they were he was in media, and, and they were doing the telecast for that, and how that whole thing just completely bombed uh, after some early opportunity that looked like it was going in a great direction, and then oh, innovation, yeah. right? Innovation came along and just wiped them out in terms of in like a minute. In a minute, Dumb. like like literally one second, you're like you got you're covering the U.S. Open. The next minute, you're literally like got this massive amount of debt that you never thought you'd get out from under, uh, and you're out of business. And and that, that was, was really that was a, that was super interesting. It's something I didn't know about him. I didn't know about his story, but it clearly provided some lessons for him in terms of okay. Here's what not to do next time, or here's what to look out for, for in terms of innovation disruption in an industry where you you things can change for you overnight. Mm-hmm. He kind of is now the disruptor, right? Correct. So that's kind of cool. He went from taking a big risk and not necessarily failing at the onset, but eventually it failed. Mm-hmm. And then learned all those lessons, which is what they always say, fail forward. And I feel like he's a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Learn from it. I'm going to hop around because I don't want to be too cookie cutter and going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. How about, oh, this is one of my favorites, the Beast from Bayonne. What are some of those takeaways? Because I feel like you both know Danon very well. Maybe I'm wrong. You know him better than I, I know him very well. Okay. And Charles, I don't think you'd met Danon. No, I had not. I had okay. not. not. Quickly, I feel like connected with him. Right. Very jovial human. story for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought that he had this this um, this great story of a turnaround in life that really just um, resonated big time for me. And you know him really well. So what was a big uh, takeaway for you? Yeah. And I met Danon through Cliff, who was also I guess they both uh, played football in Iowa together. Cliff is our number one episode. <laughs> no, still. huh? OK. I tell you, that, you know, um, Danon's another one who is just like, whatever that dude puts his mind to, he gets it done. And we all like to think we're great athletes, et cetera. I really haven't seen anything that, that he can't do. Um, and, and that's not just athletics because he's, um, again, multidimensional. But whether it's cornhole, golf, basketball, football, uh, baseball, dude's a killer. <laughs> And I love that mindset. I love the mindset of someone who feels like whatever I really want to do, I can do. Well, and I think when you think about what he shared with us, it's like it, it's always been that way. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of came up being that guy. 
He did. Yeah. He did. And and he, he doesn't, you know, my grandmother used to say, you know, if hard work was in bed, you'd sleep on the floor. So, so, <laughs> like, and Dana's a worker. He he knows his potential, and he figures out a way to achieve it. I mean, he he's an analyst. He works. Uh, he runs a mortgage business. He's um, got a lot going on. Heavily involved in the church. So, I, I just I appreciate him as a friend, but I also just from afar appreciate the way uh, Dana moves. That's awesome. Let's talk about a couple of our virtual guests. Let's start with Cass Thomas. Mm, man, Cass, man, she has so much soul. Mm-hmm. You know, the first word that comes to <laughs> I mean, yeah. she does. I mean, I I was just captivated by her just sheer presence and energy. Yeah. Um, and I, I I guess I just see how she uplifts people and and just. Her entire story and then what she brings to the conversation mm-hmm. about being better, like a better human being. Um, and I just really enjoyed the conversation with her and getting to know her. I think one of the things most fascinating for me is that her grasp of reality mm-hmm. and her ability to articulate her reality is lovely to me. I mean, I honestly, I was melting when she when she was talking. She has a way of pulling you in and making you a part of whatever story that she's telling. And, um, you know, her journey from, uh, you know, whether it was New York or Rome, et cetera, she finds a way to create the richest experience regardless of, of where she is for herself. And I think that's inspiring for all of us who find ourselves in new places and new environments, et cetera. So. Uh, really impressed and, and just a really rich, endearing way of communicating. I think that's indicative of someone who comes out of this this whole uh, world of hospitality, which is where she yep. came from. And, and yep. that taking service to a whole new level mm-hmm. and making that a part of the experience and that people can feel that in a way where you you can really know that that person truly wants you to have the best of whatever it is that you should be getting in the moment, right? Whatever that experience is. um, And that they care about you getting that experience as much as you care about receiving it. I like that. That's a really good way of putting it. She said all roads lead to Rome. That's something I never considered. But she almost makes you believe it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, when you listen to her. So um, I went to Rome and I had a good time, but I never thought all roads led there. But now I feel like Agreed. I need to go back. <laughs> well, I'll go back. I'll go back with you. I love yeah. Rome. Rome's a great place. All right. So let's transition back to someone in person. I found this one to be very interesting. Having a great life without alcohol with Peter Flick. Mm. I got to tell you, I talked to Peter um, actually two days ago. Um, hoping to connect. I was traveling from New Hampshire, literally driving down to New York. and was hoping to, to connect with him in the city, but he had to go back to Philly. And that's another case of knowing someone, right? Having a relationship with someone that you've developed over a you know, number of years, whatever the case may be, and never knowing that part of their life or their story. You didn't know all of that. I knew that Peter didn't drink. Like, I knew that. Like, I knew, wow. like, we've been around each other socially. And so I knew that that just wasn't part of his deal. Like, he wasn't a drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
Interestingly yeah. enough, being around him and his wife Jackie, and, and look, Jackie's, you know, she'll have a, she'll she'll have, a cocktail, she'll have yeah. a cocktail, glass of wine, you know, um, and and clearly that's not a issue in their relationship. It's just normal for them. But to know that this is something that was like embedded in his life as like a young boy, mm-hmm. and became so. How many people do you know that became sober at the age of seventeen? That you had such a run. To like yeah, that by the time by the time you got by the time you got to age seventeen, you were done. You were done. Like you just couldn't do it anymore. Like you, your life was literally in jeopardy if you kept living the life you were living at the age of seventeen. A man's been sober for twenty five years. Incredible. Like that's just amazing to me. And if you didn't listen, I want you to understand that Peter Flick is not old. <laughs> <Sorry>. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think that's just the, the again, it's, it's just those things when you learn, um, like, you know, I think we just heard this, you know, we all have our trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever that right. might be. And, um, man, but he's living a great life and doing great things. And, and, um, you know, he's got some great things ahead of him right now. He's so super excited about some things that are happening here in his business. Um, um, and so just really grateful that we were able to share with him with our audience and learn more about him and be inspired. That's awesome. Yeah, I think two things that, you know, I'd met Flick through Charles. And I've always found him to be a wonderful person to be around. I'm always happy when I, you know, I see his face and I walk in to your home. Um, and I think two things come to mind. One is just the strength that he had to have even at 17 or 18 to a realize what was happening to him and then embrace this new life. Well, and then to have the courage to say, I can change this. It's yeah. within my power. Yeah. Like we don't have to go down this road. Anymore. Right. That's huge. Then the other, just, I thought about is how often alcohol enters into our experiences mm-hmm. yeah. because I never noticed that he, you know, he wasn't having a drink or he wasn't. Then I started to think, well, every time I'm around him, there could have been alcohol, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's like, and I'm, I'm never one to over consume, but it, you know, sometimes out of social conformity, whatever it might be, some people may feel that pressure Absolutely. and he always finds a way to, to not succumb to that. And I think that's, that's amazing to me. So I, I've always liked him. Uh, I don't know him extremely well, but this really made me appreciate him in a different way. You know, one more thing I'll add about, about Pete, um, and I think I talked about this when he was on, on the show, but uh, it sticks out for me. Um, you, know, we, we, you and I talk a lot about, you know, one of our pillars is obviously race. And, um, you know, as a white man, he's completely aware Mm-hmm. that there's an experience that he has like he's just not connected to in a way where he can step in our shoes um, and um, relate to it in any way so he acknowledges it and, and also is, wants to He's I think he's really authentic when he says I want to learn right yeah and um, I, will, I will this is one of the things I will always remember about him is you know he called me on a Sunday morning and said hey man there's a Black Lives Matter march down in Old Town Scottsdale. Will you and your family go and do this march with me and my family? And I, I literally, I mean, I almost jumped out of my skin um, and couldn't have said yes fast enough. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And for him to pick up the phone and make that phone call with that in mind told me a lot about him as a human being. Wow. That's really amazing. So Chelsea Carroll, how did you meet Chelsea Carroll? Was she your golf instructor? Uh, She wasn't, but she should be. Um, (laughs) Based on how I played this past weekend. Uh, um, How's your golf future? I haven't heard a lot about that lately. Don't you start. Yeah, why would you you bring that up into the conversation? And by the way... Because you said you've been playing more recently. No, I, I... Well... I shouldn't say recently. I, I think I played golf a couple of times this summer. That's about it. Uh, better than the year before? Uh, this is true. Improvement. Okay, so, but back to the question. I figured that maybe you guys had met because she... So, literally, uh, Doug Venable, maybe it was uh, my my buddy Bob Scoff, who uh, I play with, he and I were up at, um, no, it was playing with Doug and Bob, True North. And literally, we were getting into our golf cart, and she was the one helping us put our clubs on the cart. We started into a conversation. She said she's also the assistant pro there. And I said, you know, I think you're somebody, and she coaches at South Mountain. You're somebody who we might want to have on the show. And literally, she said, I would love to. Um, I'm not sure exactly what, you know, I talk about, but I'd, I'd love to if you think it would be meaningful. So she agreed to be on the show and the relationship has blossomed from there. And she's also helping, you know, with, with Vista, uh, the school that Charles was co-founder of. And I, I tell you, she's just an amazing person. Yeah. I was yeah. going to mention that because I think sometimes it's great for the audience to know kind of like the things that happen outside. Yeah. yeah what happens the, next? You know what happens yeah. next, you know? And so, you know, we, we took that conversation and and this is that, that's not the first time it's happened. We've done this a n- numerous times. We've had podcast guests, and we've like convened afterwards to figure out, hey, what can we do together? Absolutely, to like, you know, do things in our community. Um, and and starting this golf program at Vista College Prep, um, talking about middle schoolers, um, sixth to eighth grade, and getting them connected to and introduced to the game of golf. Like I'm super excited about that. And, that's a big and what deal. We're doing. That's huge. And um, you know. One of the other things that's going to come out of that is getting a, a putting green uh, on the campus there at the school, all because of uh, of Chelsea and, and the conversation that we started here. And then one more piece of that, her husband just volunteered to help start a soccer program Aww. at the school as well. So, yeah, I mean, there's just so, so much comes out of these conversations that we hope has an impact in a positive way in the community that we're involved in. And then to bring a third person and second guest into that conversation, Doug Venable, um, has also uh, agreed to provide a donation um, to help also with with that. So it's just to Charles's point, allowing these um, sessions that we have to blossom and flourish into more. Into community action. Absolutely. Doug had mentioned one time that his life goal was so that no kid would ever not be able to afford to go to college. Wow. He had a really beautiful story of a girl, and I forget how they had gotten connected, but he paid for her tuition the way through, and it's like his daughter that he didn't have. Absolutely. And he's so, so close to her, and they're always in touch, and it was just something that he was compelled to do after... This was brought to his attention, and I forget all the details of how it came to be, but it's great that he's now found a passion in helping 
Another great, another great Doug Venable story. This is about two weeks ago. We're at my house having dinner with a couple of guys that, um, a couple of fraternity brothers who are in town from Nashville. Um, one who I'm sure will have on the show soon. Um, but we're, we're eating dinner and I had invited DJ over uh, to, to join us. And um, in the course of the conversation, somehow Doug's name comes up. Right, Nashville, Nash- Nashville. Oh, that's that's right. right, Nashville. They and one of the guys sitting there says, "Doug Venable, he's one of my mentors." Wow, knows him very, very, knows him well. very well. So we 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 FaceTime Face Doug. Yeah, and this yeah. young guy and Doug hadn't seen each other in years, but he knew that's Doug amazing. in an intimate way in terms of like this guy was instrumental helping me. You know, kind of brought me up in terms of he's a he's a banker. And it had nothing but yeah, amazing things to say about it. Like, so so yeah. connecting those dots, such a small world, right? So amazing. It really is such a small world. And I think sometimes we need reminders of that. Yep. Um, I agree. You know, the things that we do and people know, it, I mean, it all matters. It does matter. All right. Let's, uh, we've had a couple of beauty queens on the conscious side. We are equal opportunity here. Most recently, we had the queen of Tucson, <laughs> Miss Abby Charles. Who is quite a philanthropist. What did you guys take away from that one? Um, you know, I think Abby's a young lady trying to find a way to be um, impactful uh, in, in, in Tucson. And um, I really applaud her because um, you, you look at, you have a little joke about you know, the whole idea of a beauty queen, right? And uh, whether or not we think there's a lot of depth behind that right you could you could mm-hmm. you could play around with that for a little while but i would also i would gather to say that there's really something you know very very enriching about her and what she's trying to do and what she wants to do um and so there is something there um that we could really celebrate and i really appreciated having her on the show and getting the chance to know more about her. yeah and the thing i appreciated about abby is that she she also doesn't operate with limitations. And I really appreciate that perspective, approach, energy that she feels like, you know, if there's something she wants to pursue, it's just a matter of doing the work to put herself in a position to be successful. Whether that's, you know, the philanthropic nature of what she does, continuing along this path of pageantry, or, you know, as she talked about, you know, being a scientist in the world of nutrition. Mm-hmm. and adding value and helping people in that zone. So I found that really inspiring from her. What about Riley O'Mara? I know you brought her on today mm-hmm. as a guest. How did you end up meeting her and what compelled you to say you should be on the podcast? I met her at um, the gym that we both work out at. And when she told me her story and her interest in neuroplasticity, it blew my mind. And um still thinking about it. You know, she talked about growing up in an environment, in an environment where she was convinced by people very close to her that she had a mental disorder. And that as she began to explore life as a single person and not necessarily a function of her environment, that she found that whether she did or didn't, it could be overcome. And that hadn't necessarily been the messaging in her past world. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, obviously in my doctoral program, that was a big part of, you know, ego and neuroplasticity is a part of what the focus was. We began to have that conversation and I asked her if she would want to come on and share that story. And she did. And I know that wasn't easy for her to do. And I'm very appreciative that she did that. And I think she really got a lot out of that personally. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, I think it goes back to her. Her whole conversation for me was really about the power of the mind, right? And we're, we're oftentimes a product of what our mind tells us we're capable of or on the other side of that coin, you know, what we're not capable of. Absolutely. Doing, accomplishing or being. And I think for her to be able to take, now she talked really about having this, this idea, notion of a learning disability and turn that around. Uh, to being in, in college and, you know, preparing to have a career for herself. Yeah. And, 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 um, just being on a path, DJ uses this, this term and I love it, um, path to flourish. Like she's on her way. And I just thought that was so, um, such a learning opportunity for all of us that, that you can be in, in just about any space in life. But if you really believe in yourself and you can let your mind tell you what's possible, that you can overcome anything. And I think the other thing that is important is that that journey is never complete and you have to continue to make the decision to be your own person. And, it's exhausting and, being a human. Isn't yeah. It? And, and I'm hopeful that she continues down that path. Uh, because sometimes the um, the forces that want to convince you otherwise continue to be forces. It's a matter of what decision you make in terms of what role they play right. in, in your life. So yeah, there's no parents, question about that. Like all that parents. stuff, right? All that, all that stuff. Jimmy. All the influences so, out there yeah. that, that you know we we tend to um, allow to shape mm-hmm. who we should be, right? right? Based upon not necessarily on our own best thinking. But someone else thoughts and ideas about what our life should be about. And I think that's that's a caution to all to all of us. Absolutely. How about Taylor Rochester? We've had a handful of athletes on this season so far too, and I'm sure we've got more um, ahead of us, but he's a pretty interesting story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm always attracted to uh, these these athletic stories of people who just you don't necessarily think um, have what it takes, so to speak, right? And I think he, you could look at him and go, this guy's a basketball player and he's had this kind of success. And, you know, it, it, it just goes to show you, one, don't judge a book by its color. I mean, anybody who's played a sport knows when you step on the field, you step on the court, um, everybody's got a story of, oh, man, like somebody brought it to me that I had no idea that they could do that. Um, and you misjudged them on the field, on the court. And, um, you know, probably regretted it, right? So I think just taking away that this guy has something really special about him that has driven him um, to do the work that he does now. Um, and, and all of that came through his experiences in basketball. Um, it's really enlightening. Yeah, maniacal focus is what comes to mind when I think about him. He said, he, you know, there's a video of him as a kid, as a kid, saying, he was going to play professional basketball in Europe. It's like, okay. That's like an odd goal, right? Odd goal. Said that. But it manifested. And I think, you know, one of Charles's questions to him was, okay, yeah, I hear you, but talk more about that hard work that that you had to do. And hearing him express that, you know, um, I think, you know, I know Charles can relate to it. I can relate to it. 
said, at some point, you just got to do the work. It's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be fun. You got to do the work, whatever it is. Yeah. And you got to roll your sleeves up and this becomes who you are. Mm-hmm. And I, his articulation of that, I think, is really inspiring for a lot of people. So um, I, I think he's a great dude. And again, he, he has a place in the building that I live in. Oh, that's right. Yeah, right. I don't, and, that was wild. Yeah, that was that's really crazy. wild. Such a small world. Oh, but, small world. So hopefully we'll reconnect with him at some point. But he, um, I really enjoyed talking with him. And I'll bet he's got some wonderful stories just about, again, what, 13 different cities or 11 different crazy. cities yeah, he's yeah. played in crazy. in Europe. Crazy. So um, heck of a story. Now. Yeah. Exactly. Back out there now. Still doing it. You know, it's funny. You said something earlier in, in the conversation about not skipping steps, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it goes into that hard work conversation. Yeah. And um, I, I, I do think that the mindset today is, okay, I want to get over there. And there's like 30 steps to get there. How do I get to step 27? 100% right. Without having to do one through 26. Yep. And I think that that's a big piece of the... First of all, people are very much disoriented around, okay, I can just do that. But also not understanding the journey is a, like, that's, that's a part of the, the celebration when you get to that point, right? The celebration of, wow, you look back and you go, like, this is what it took to get here. And there's no skipping, there's no skipping steps, right? You have to earn your way in just about everything. And I think it also exacerbates this whole idea of like, you know, mental health and, um, not really, you know, people feeling, um, disconnected to life and, you know, all those other things It's because we think that we should just be able to like teleport ourselves to success. And not earn it or not work hard to get there. Well, there's an interesting, um, I watched a snippet of it. I never watched TV movies, but it's on my list. And I can't remember what it's called, but it's about Olympians. Specifically, I know Phelps was in it. And I know exactly Sean what you're talking about. And about how you either. train and you do the steps and you're locked in. And that getting the gold is the only thing that you are focused on. Every other aspect of your life is in the back seat, like really far in the back seat. It's not like it's right there. It's <laughs> like, you know, a very low priority. And then you get to the Olympics and then you get the gold and you've achieved it. And then there's this really empty feeling of nothing that happens after. Sure. And, um, you know, that maniacal focus, I think that there's a lot of different sides to it of figuring out how you can make sure your life still has meaning. Once you've hit that 30th point, right? Mm-hmm. Once you sold that business for a hundred million dollars or whatever it yeah. was that the goal was, you All know? All the the same way. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that happen. I mean, I've got friends who, you know, entrepreneurs who sold their businesses and they look around like, you know. They kind of enjoyed those days yeah. when they were like grinding in their business. Yeah, two weeks yeah. later and they're going, wait a minute, like, I don't have nowhere to go. No one's expecting me. Um, my team isn't calling me My all team day. isn't calling me out to help ask me to solve problems. Like what? What? And, and and identity gets wrapped up in all of that. For sure. Who am I? And, and what is my purpose now? Like all that stuff is really, really relevant. Still, I get amazed, especially in. I'll just say it. I find it just having taught college and younger generations. How cool and sexy and amazing it is to be seen or perceived as working hard in the gym but just the opposite in business. 
like let's post me working in the gym and I'm yeah. hoisting up 325 oh, yeah. and you know I'm doing cartwheels with a beer can on my head and all this stuff but when it comes to business I don't want to be seen that way I don't want to be seen as somebody who's busting their behind working at 3 in the morning yeah, I want it to all seem and look easy and that dichotomy blows my mind yeah, it doesn't work that way but the minute I hit the gym, I want you to think I'm sweating from the time I walk in to the time I walk out. But I want you to see no sweat when it comes but to why is that? it's a, it's an amazing phenomenon. And um, I think a lot of it is culture. I yeah. think a lot of it is the skewed perception of success that we had. But it is. Do you think social media has anything to do with that? I, I, I think the users of, of social media yeah, have a lot to yeah, do with yeah, it. I'm not on social media. Yeah. I don't do that. You know, that's just not my thing. But I also get this. There's this perception of life being perfect. Right. I'm standing on top of an airplane as it flies. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is I'm making money while I. Yeah. It's like, well, hold on. You but you want us to see you killing it in the gym. Oh, yeah. But but the minute we get to talk about business, you've arrived before you started somehow, and I I'm perplexed by it. It's it's mind blowing. Yeah, it makes sense. I read a quote this morning actually that said the universe is attracted to authenticity, and you know we have all been in business, right? I've yeah. run a business, and I think that also there's this aspect of success is defined differently to everyone. Mm-hmm. Are we going to become millionaires from a podcast studio? No, we're not. We understand that, but are we still finding passion and happiness Absolutely. in the work that we do and we show up for every single day? Right. Right. Cause if we are, then that's success in its own right. There's a lot of people out there who define success simply as making X amount of money, mm-hmm. but on the other side, they're miserable. And I think what's cool about a lot of your guys' guests are there's been a ton of really successful people, but I haven't yet come across someone who's just phoning it in job wise, making a bunch of money, but uh, is right. secretly miserable. Right. Yeah. Well, I think part of that goes back to, you know, I've always, one of my mantras is that, you know, um, money is the byproduct of doing really good work. Right. But you can do really good work and not enjoy it. But in order to do really good work, I think there's some elements that have to go into that. Right. You can't be, you can't do work, do good work. One, if you're not happy doing it, if you're not passionate about it, and if you're not putting forth the right effort, right? I don't think you can be really good at something, like truly be good at something without enjoying it too. Like phoning it in, like at some point you're just going to start phoning it in. And then once you get to that place, there's no way you can be delivering a good product or a good service or be performing well. I don't care if it's on the stage or if it's on the field, what on the court, whatever it is. Like you have to enjoy it. Otherwise, at, at some point it just loses meaning and you're not able to deliver what you have, you know, you know, have have committed to to whoever it is that you're, you know, dealing with, whether it's an audience, or whether it's a customer, whatever that may be. Absolutely. I definitely see that as well. Was it Danan who had said that when he was ready to retire from football, he told his agent, don't call me with any offers. It was Dana. Yeah. Like this is my decision. I've made it. Don't be the temptation sitting over here. That's going to reel me back in because I've got to walk away on my own terms. And this is the term. And this is where I say goodbye. Made the agent promise him that he wouldn't call him. Which is amazing. Right. How many people have that strength to say, I know that this has been a great journey, but now I'm ready for my next one. And clarity. Yeah. Yep. You know, because you have to have that clarity. Um, I mean, football is a brutal sport. Oh, yeah, I know. And, and 
Watching I, I, high I, you know, I, I literally was watching a high school football game on Saturday, and I was blown away how hard those kids were hitting <laughs> each other. Right? These are prep school kids, by the way. This isn't like five A football um, in Texas. <laughs> you know, it, it, and so you know, it's such a brutal sport that if you don't go into that with the proper mindset, most people don't, though, right? But I mean, the proper, I'm talking about the proper mindset about going into it with your your mental clarity about why you're doing it and why you're there and being really focused on doing that work because that's how you get hurt. Like if you're not, if you're going, you, you can't go lackadaisical into like the game of football. I mean, it's a brutal sport and you, you, you have to it's understand. Like the people who like go to hike Kilimanjaro and like yeah. freaking Camelback once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. It's, that, that's, that's exactly <laughs> right. It's, it's a great analogy, right? Because you have to be prepared to know what you're getting yourself into. And the moment you realize, and that's what I love about, love about him and his clarity, the moment you realize that I'm not ready for this anymore. Yeah, it's Paycheck great. sounds good, but I got clarity that that part of my life, I'm not willing to make the sacrifices anymore. Paycheck, fame, all of that stuff. You know, I think a lot of athletes get addicted to yeah. everyone knows who I am and I'm important. And, you know, yeah. if you're a big deal, you walk through the grocery store and everyone's like, oh, my gosh. And then you get a little bit older and now they're on to the next person and they're excited about whoever the new, you know, Patrick Mahomes is of the season. You know what I mean? Josh Kobe talked about that. Yeah, he sure that did. identity sure did. flip, Shit. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a big deal. All right, so we're going to wrap this up, but who can we expect coming up for the remainder of season two? Do you guys have any people that you're oh. excited to get on the show? Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, gosh, um, name that we talked about a lot, Billy Deck. Yeah. Um, can't wait to get him on the show. Who we both knew before we met both, each other. Totally. Ironically, ironically you know, DJ had a history with him. Cosmic. Um, long before I actually met Billy. Um, and so can't wait to have him on the show. Um, also, um, another friend of mine, Eric Moses, who's, uh, he's heads up. He's president of Nashville, uh, International Raceway. Cool. Um, probably the first black president of a NASCAR entity. Great to, it's going to be great to have him on the show That's and hear about all the things that they're doing to shift. I mean, what he shares, you know, just in just a little snippet, he shares that, you know, NASCAR's demographic is literally dying. Literally, just in terms of like age and demographic. Mm. Um, and so they've got to figure out a new way to get, you know, um, other consumers into their mix uh, to really uh, appreciate and value and, um, Attend the sport. I like that. That's going to be like a disruption. You yeah. Know, you got to flip this thing on its head. Super That's excited. I've never had any interest in that. Yeah. But can't wait to have him on. If it's properly marketed, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> we, got some, we got some good entrepreneurs that are coming on. They've done some fascinating things. Uh, this top divorce attorney. Uh, uh, oh, that'll be fascinating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> NBA scout. Um, yeah. We've got some, some cool people that are coming on. And I think for me, I have, um, you know, I've, was in that uh, Nike space for quite some time. And there are some folks who uh, stayed at Nike after I left and they went on and, you know, major executive roles with the firm, but they've now decided to package all of their intellect and go elsewhere and do things that are more entrepreneurial. Cool. And those are some folks that um, have committed to be on the show. And 
will have on the show and, and they're working um, some in Hollywood now, some for major restaurant chains and even bigger jobs. And, you know, I was always fascinated by those folks who on both sides of the spectrum who over identify with the Nike brand and let it consume them and define them versus folks who said, I know the clock is always ticking. I'm going to make the most out of this. And I know there are bigger things out there for me. So I'm really interested in the latter and we'll have some of them on the show. Speaking of Nike, I had an interesting experience uh, recently. I, um, um, I think I told you I was, I was in this, uh, I was in this Harvard business school program. It's called accelerating board diversity mm-hmm. and is essentially getting, um, diverse, uh, executive leaders prepared for public and private, uh, corporate boards. Um, and, uh, I did an in-person module a few weeks ago um, at, at the business school in Harvard. And one of the case studies was on Nike and their board and some decisions that Nike was making. Probably, this is probably around, I want to say 2012 or so, but they were trying to make some decisions around um, how they were going to approach um, diversity in the organization um, relative to some of the opportunities they had to go into in various um, parts of sport. Um, but I found it interesting. I was taking notes as I was reading the case, and it just came to me that in my little circle of friends, and obviously DJ being one of them, um, I, I literally wrote down on my, my, uh, my case notes like six black men that I know personally at what I would call significant leadership roles at Nike within the last, I don't know, five years or so, mm-hmm. who are no longer there. And it just represented to me, and I just thought about it, I just listed, I wrote down all these names. And, you know, look, I don't know that there's any sort of common um, reason why all of them are no longer at Nike. You know, you have probably different reason than Wayne Monfries. Like, Absolutely. But I'm wondering, is there a cultural shift in that organization that isn't valuing, and maybe this is not the right word, but isn't valuing black males as they ascend through the organization and causing them to go, hmm, maybe there's something better for me out there. Entrepreneurially, another organization. Um, look, I know guys like Cliff King are thriving still, um, and there are obviously others, but it just made me really curious about that, and I just wonder if that's a conversation that may perhaps be explored at some point, if it makes sense. I think the Nike that I find fascinating is on the exterior, they do present such a diverse um, marketing effort, right? And I, I like look at all their marketing, and I'm impressed. I love wearing Nike clothes, and yeah, I pay attention. Um but then it can be such a different story on the inside, right? So what you're putting out into the universe could be just a total facade. That's exactly right. And then you open the door and you start to see something else. Yeah. I'm not saying that is the case. But exactly. I same same here. Same here. But it was just, I was really curious about it, and I just thought it was such a, a coincidence. May not be the right coincidence. May not, not be the right word. But it just struck me as like, wow, this is interesting. And these are just Major just thing. they're just in the small circle of people that I know, right? And I know you you you're much more much more connected to that than I am. Yeah, almost 20 years there. I think there are other demographic subsets that would have similar stories, whether it's, you know, uh, black females, et cetera. But um, 
I think there are a number of things at play. One is, you know, we're not going to stay with any company forever. And now you think about, hey, 20 years, that's probably a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just a long time with Nike. Um, yeah, and I also think when you think about the con- Nike consumer and how that consumer over-indexes in certain communities, and then you start to think internally, Nike was founded in Oregon by white males predominantly. And there's a history to Oregon as well. And that presents challenges to that brand and that culture that are the antithesis of the consumer at times. And working through that as a leader in that organization and even convincing some folks that we've got some issues is a whole body of work Mm -hmm. in and of itself, Um, especially when you're national sales director or national diversity director. So um, a lot of things at play. I think the the healthiest folks, whether it's, you know, Wayne, Reg, we've had on the show, myself, is to understand that the journey, um, you don't want, you always want to feel like the company needs you more than you need them. Mm -hmm. Gosh, isn't that the truth? Right. And that's period, right? But especially at a brand that moves as fast as Nike. Yeah. Make, Make the journey work for you. Wayne, somebody else we need to be able to get on the show too. Absolutely. We need Wayne on. Well, everybody stay tuned. We've got an amazing second half of season two ahead. All right. Congratulations all on here. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, uh, for listening to us on The Conscious Vibe. We really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. And check us out on tcvpodcast.com.